Good morning, everyone. Hello, hello. Everybody got outlines and coffee and all that good stuff. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in this morning. Looking forward to uh, the next little bit that we have together. Uh, I do want to, um, first of all, if you don't know me, uh, introduce myself. I'm Jeff Hodgson. I'm one of the uh, bivocational pastors here on, on the staff. I, I pay the bills by uh, being an airline pilot. And when I'm here in town, I get to get to serve the church. So uh, in light of that airline pilot thing, I want to offer a caveat about today's class today. Uh, I got in about one in the morning this morning uh, from Rome. So uh, if I say goofy things, uh, you know, just go ask Michelle what I meant. So she knows. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's pray, and then I would I would love to talk a little bit about about how God is changing us. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you that we have opportunity to consider what you are doing in our lives, to consider the the power of the gospel, to consider the power of your revealed word to consider your kindness and drawing near to us even as we face difficult things in life. Uh, you are a good and gracious and kind Father, uh, and you are eager to help. So by your Spirit, Lord, I pray that, that this time together would be helpful, would be uh, encouraging, would be illuminating, uh, would be uh, something that brings you glory as we think about your work in our lives. Uh, do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, well, uh, last week, Jake uh, introduced the concept of biblical counseling a little bit and the scriptural support uh, for the concept, uh, who's involved in it, and a bit of a framework for how it happens. Uh, and today I want to dig a little bit more into the framework of how it happens, uh, the, the model that we, that we use, uh, kind of work under here in biblical counseling at, at Cornerstone. Um, we, we don't have techniques for counseling so much as we do have an overarching big idea of this is what God is doing in our lives. And if we give ourselves to trusting in what he is doing, uh, we can sit down together, call upon the Lord, and find that he is faithful to meet with us and to bring about real change uh, in our lives. Um, this, is, this is the book. I don't know how much Jake talked about this last time. I think we only have a couple copies uh, of it in the bookstore. But it's a, it's a little book that kind of, kind of lays out the, the whole uh, paradigm that we, that we use. It's kind of a nice nice resource, and we are use, or loosely following it uh, during the course of this class um, because we really do think that, that if we give ourselves to a biblical understanding of what God is doing and how counsel uh, and counseling really can occur, uh, just great things will happen. And it stands in, in real stark contrast 
uh, to what the world really offers, what, what our culture uh, really offers. Because it, it's, um, it just looks at things very, very differently. Uh, we will talk about, about uh, a picture of, of, uh, of, of the heat in our lives and how it affects us and so forth. And, the, and kind, of the, kind of the overarching big idea in the, the culture's understanding is that there is heat in our lives. There are difficult things. There's challenges that we face and so forth. And we are essentially good people, but when we face this heat, it causes thorns. It causes bad behaviors in our life. So we are essentially victims uh, of our circumstances or the things that we encounter. Uh, biblical counseling in the Bible doesn't see it that way. Uh, what what the Bible says is, yeah, there's, there's heat in our lives. Uh, there are difficult circumstances. There are pressures in our lives and so forth. But they don't cause thorns to happen in our lives. The thorns are already there. Um, within our hearts, we have thorns just waiting to come out. And so what the heat does is, rather than causing those things, making us victims... The heat basically just kind of reveals what's really going on with us. And so what God loves to do is God loves to show us these things and make us great promises that he intends to change us in the midst of those things. So if, if you embrace this biblical idea of how things really are, what you find is that it's both really freeing uh, and really hopeful. Because the prospect of my being able to change and grow is so much more encouraging than the prospect of saying, well, what's coming next? You know, what, what's the next thing that's going to victimize me? You know, if left to myself, I'd be just fine. I'm an okay person, but it's all this other stuff that's causing these bad things in my life. Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? There's going to be more heat. There's going to be more pressures. There's going to be more challenges uh, and so forth. And if we have kind of a mentality that says I'm essentially a good person who's being victimized, then where's our hope? Where our hope really lies is in the idea that says um, God is at work making me into the image of Christ. And there are difficult things that I face in my life, and none of them are wasted. God doesn't waste any bit of, of my suffering or my challenge. But instead, in the midst of my suffering and my challenge, I have opportunity to interact with him, to commune with him. And he affects me. He changes me, makes me more into the image of Christ. Um, <clears throat> I, I think there's going to have to be a reckoning that, that occurs at, at some point where we, where we stop and say, over the past, especially 50 years or so, where there has been this emphasis on kind of the, uh, the exaltation of the self and the focus on self-esteem uh, and everything else, um, somebody's going to have to stand up and say, I I'm not sure this is working. Uh, I, I don't think there's any 
measurable things. There's no real metrics out there that says, hey, this is, this is making things better. Um, we, we, you know, since we started this self-esteem thing, we, we don't have guys shooting at each other in Chicago anymore. Uh, we, we don't have all kinds of the problems that, that we see. I mean, we're, we look around us and what we see is uh, things don't seem to be getting better. Uh, things are pretty much the same as they have always been. Uh, people are, are born in a particular kind of way, and what we really need is we need the redeeming, transforming grace of God to make things different, not just to feel better uh, about myself. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, on top of that, I think, I think the idea that if, if I feel pressurized to feel better about myself, um, and I'm supposed to have this high self-esteem and so forth, if I'm really honest, I know that there's some things about me that just aren't right. So am I supposed to suppress that? Am I supposed to pretend like that's not going on? Or should I instead say, no, I, I don't want to just grit my teeth and feel better about myself. I, I really would like for things to change. I would like to grow and to mature and to be a different person than I was before. Rather than embracing a falsehood, essentially, uh, which is both uh, unbiblical and, I, I argue, unhelpful, uh, there is something so much better. All right, any, uh, any questions thus far? Any psychologists out there whose toes I'm stepping on? <laughs> I don't mean to do that. Uh, you know, what I, <clears throat> what I think is true is that what we're going to talk about in biblical counseling is something that depends upon uh, a person having been redeemed, uh, having been saved by the mercy of God. There's, there's an activity that comes from the gospel of Christ that is available particularly uh, to God's people, to his children. Um, if, if we have an unredeemed person and we try to just fit them into a biblical counseling model, um, I, I shouldn't think that's going to work. I, I should think that they're not going to have ears to hear that. They're not going to have a heart open to, uh, to embracing a, a biblical idea of things. So, uh, common grace from God is that there are people engaged in secular counseling who are doing wonderful work in helping people to uh, not be as miserable. Now, I, I don't think that they are actually providing a real cure for what's going on in their lives, uh, but they have very effective ways of helping people to not be so miserable. Uh, and I thank God for that. I don't want miserable people running around all over the world. I, 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 I look at the, the image bearers of God and, and uh, how, how marred and, and, uh, and such that they may be. And, and it, uh, you know, it moves us to compassion uh, when we think about how lost so much of the world really is. <clears throat> and I'm glad there's people who are out there helping. So anyway... That, that caveat as well. Any other, any questions at all? Yes, Monica. I'm trying to 
Sure. Yeah, I, I think I think what I hear you describing is um, uh, kids who would be responding to the flesh, who basically are saying, "Hey, look, I'd really rather be lazy than work." Uh, that you know that that's our that's our fallen flesh, uh, and so to be able to address that and say, you know, I, I think you're selling yourself short. I, I think you actually can do. Uh, I, I don't think is is along the lines of kind of the building of the self-esteem thing as much as it is challenging people rightly. So I, I think you're on the right track with that. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, well, let's jump into uh, the, my first, first point here. God is changing us. Uh, first of all, God is changing us through our relationship with Jesus. He he, he knows how, how we were born. He understands us well. And, and he hasn't just left us with the idea that, hey, there's something amiss with these people. Um, I, I want to I highlight, I want to help them to be, to be stirred to think there's something not quite right here. And so, so God creates in us a longing for something that, that in the end is only going to be satisfied with him. Uh, and, he's, and he points us through many of the, the, um, the rumblings uh, of our souls and the, the circumstances and the trials that we face, uh, pointing us toward desiring a Savior. And, uh, and that's wonderful and good. So, <clears throat> you know, when we have people who who are coming in saying, I'm just, I'm just kind of beside myself. I, I, there's, there's something missing. There's something wrong. There's the, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm miserable and whatever. Uh, there may be something really, really good happening here. Uh, cause it is in fact, uh, the case that, um, it's, it's not the Lord's kindness, but it's actually his judgment to leave us sort of oblivious uh, in our sin, suppressing the truth. This is, uh, this is Romans 1, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged <clears throat> the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So to leave people just comfortable in their pursuit of things apart from the Lord is actually God's judgment. <clears throat> so if you're bopping along through life and you're not bothered by the fact that your life and behaviors and attitudes and so forth are contrary to what the Lord has revealed. That's a very frightening thing. 
If, however, you're going through life and you're saying, there's something missing here. There's something wrong. I, I, I'm not okay with how things are going in my life. That may be the Lord's mercy. That may be the Lord saying, oh, this is so good. I'm, I'm having you draw near to me. And uh, we've got great things that we're going to do together. And it starts with, with um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, the gospel makes everything possible. We're going to be talking about that in the, <clears throat> in the coming weeks. Um, I'm going to hit the first part of the, the paradigm today. Slade's going to uh, is going to bring the, the, the second half of it more where he's talking about the gospel and the effects that it has on our lives and, uh, and what a promise we have in that. And what, a, what an amazing thing that God says that he is doing in our lives. <clears throat> I, believe, I believe Jake uh, read uh, Philippians 1.6 last week, but I want to hit it again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the day of Jesus Christ, my friends. He, he rules and he reigns. He is, he is doing things. His spirit is active and present. And he is, he is bringing about amazing change uh, in our lives. And uh, for those of us who God has had mercy upon what we can say is he began something in our lives <clears throat> and the promise is he's going to bring it to completion. And that thing that he's going to bring about <clears throat> is our change. He's not going to, he's not okay with leaving us the way we were. He is not, he is not going to execute his judgment upon us. He instead is going to bring about his mercy to make things different. So, crucially, it is our interaction with uh, the Lord, the one who brings grace, that changes us. But God just seems to love to involve other people in the process. And hence, uh, biblical counseling as an example uh, of how we serve each other. I think uh, biblical counseling is, is a kind of a form of fellowship, you know, maybe... Uh, perhaps a little bit more intensive form of fellowship, but, but the idea being <clears throat> that as we come together and we call upon the Lord, the promise is that he's going to show up and that grace is available. And that, um, and that as, as I speak these words of encouragement to you, you will receive the grace of God. Uh, we, uh, Ephesians 4 has got this wonderful verse that, that uh, homeschool par parents love to teach their kids so they'll, so they'll stop cussing, uh, is that let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds the others up according to their need <clears throat> uh, and gives grace to those who hear. Uh, catch that very last phrase. This, this isn't just about, you know, don't make me have to wash your mouth out with soap. This is about listen to the power your words of encouragement can have that it would give grace to those who hear? You're kidding me. So now, if I care about you, and I do, and I want you to receive the grace of God, 
biblically speaking, it's not just me sitting on the sidelines and hoping you get the grace of God as you interact with the Lord. There is that. But there's also the Lord saying to me, go and speak words of encouragement. And they will receive my grace through you. <laughs> it's, it's staggering uh, to think that. But it may give grace to those who hear. So that's, that's an exciting thing. So, uh, so we, we love being involved in, in biblical counseling and, and uh, we love the, the promise that God makes that, that he's changing lives even through our efforts. And, um, and so we'll talk a little bit about the model that we use. All right, so Jake introduced uh, the three trees. You know what? I'm gonna draw pictures. So, uh, big picture here, you've got the sun representing heat. Uh, heat comes down, and um, there's, a, there's a, a thorny bush out here, uh, and there's a lovely bush with flowers and fruit and whatnot. Uh, there is the cross of Christ. There is streams of living water that are, uh, come along. What we're looking at with this model is we're looking at a picture of how life really is. It comes from Jeremiah 17, as, 17 as, as Jake talked about last week. We got heat, and then over here, this heat... Uh, serves to expose things. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about heat and we're going to talk about, about the thorns that can expose, be exposed in the, uh, in the midst of heat. Um, we all acknowledge that heat exists. Our lives are marked by challenges. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Um, we all understand that, that, uh, that our hearts um, uh, you know, we were, we were born kind of selfish and, you know, with, with myself at the center of the universe, weren't we? Um, we were all born, uh, as R.C. Sproul used to say, radically corrupt. Uh, he, he kind of changed the, the old Reformation um, uh, total depravity into radically corrupt because two reasons. One, he thought total depravity could be a little bit confusing for people, and he also thought radically corrupt was fun because the initials are RC, and he said that's what, that's, that's what his name stood for, was radic radically corrupt sprawl. <clears throat> but but what, what he means by that is radically corrupt means um, at the radix, the, uh, the root uh, of my being, there is corruption. So in my heart, there exists corruption. Uh, so, again, uh, not from the secular model that says heat happens, which drops thorns on this uh, blank slate here. Uh, what we say is heat happens and the thorns that exist in here get exposed. This is, uh, you know, in each case, this is, this is a representation of our hearts. So my, my heart is full of thorns. When you hear Jesus 
saying that as well and saying, you know, it's not, it's not what people take in, the food that they eat that makes them defiled. It's what comes out of their hearts that makes people defiled. So within our hearts, there is defilement. Um, Augustine uh, had this, this great way of explaining how, how um, redemption and being saved occurred. He said that, that when we were born, we were not able not to sin. Then we get saved and it changes things where now we move from not able not to sin to instead able not to sin. Something has changed. There's, there's the grace of God at work through the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes um, who we are and, and what we can do. The promise is that it doesn't have to be like this where we're producing thorns. Now, if, if we're affected by the gospel, the promise is we can now move into maybe uh, producing something that's godly and gracious and good. That's a, that's a great promise. And then, and then he finishes up with, when we go to glory, we will be not able to sin. Uh, and won't that be wonderful? <laughs> Sometimes I get a little tired of my same old patterns and, and wonder, you know, Lord, uh, will I ever grow out of this? Um, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm going to be not able to sin any longer. But in the meantime, here we are, Christians, awaiting heaven um, in a condition where we can act according to grace and the Spirit's leading, but, but uh, nevertheless with sin remaining in our hearts and we find ourselves sinning and it grieves us and we hurt people and it lands us in all kinds of messes. Um, as we confess these things, God shows us that they were paid for by the Savior and, and that they're nailed to the cross. They, they don't form the basis of our identity anymore. It's not how God views us. Uh, but the functional reality is sin is still present in our lives and it still causes problems. And this is what the Lord is interested in changing. He wants us to grow uh, in Christ-likeness and maturity. So, first things first, let's think about this heat business. Uh, break it down just a little bit. Um, I like to think of kind of the, the um, historical church's understanding of, of um, not only just circumstances, but also the, the, uh, the enemies of our souls, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, the world is, is, uh, is, is both a, a passive challenge uh, and an active enemy. Uh, passively, it exists, the fallenness um, of the world, and, and that fallenness tends to squeeze us. Uh, we get fatigued, things rust and decay, diseases inconvenience, maim and kill, uh, weeds grow, all those kinds of, kinds of things. But then actively, the world is also peddling an agenda. Uh, consider all that God has said about himself and his character and the way he desires his kingdom to be, and then consider how the world advocates something very, very different. So what's important to the world? 
fame, power, esteem, control, wealth, me and us versus you and them. Um, and think, you know, is there a, is there a, a television advertisement or TV show that, that's push, pushing the, the message of uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Uh, not so much. It's, it's pushing a very, very different agenda, uh, one that it thinks is good and right. So the world is not only a passive um, challenge, but also an, an active enemy of us. <clears throat> Next, uh, my flesh is very interested in advancing its own agenda. Uh, my flesh wants to take, not give. It wants to be lazy, not to work. It wants to have, not to be in any kind of condition of want. It wants comfort and ease, not inconvenience. It wants satisfaction now, not trusting in the Lord in waiting at all. My flesh puts me in the center of the universe with everything and everyone else orbiting around me. Um, it can... It can, go, it can be described in ugly enough terms as saying um, everyone else in the world exists to serve my interests and I use you to those ends and I'm offended when you don't uh, comply. If you stand in the way of my interests, you offend me by that. Um, how ugly is the desire of the flesh? So that's certainly heat that we deal with. And the devil, of course, is that voice that champions anything standing opposed to God's agenda. And he ultimately hopes for the frustration of God's will and the destruction <clears throat> of his image bearers. So with enemies like those, uh, should it surprise us that we often respond poorly uh, res respond sinfully. And those sinful responses are what we refer to as thorns. Okay, so <clears throat> for the person responding to the challenges and temptations of life without God's grace, but instead according to his or her indwelling sin, uh, the result is something ugly. The result is, is thorns. And we could spend uh, the rest of the day talking about the variety of, of sins that we put on display. But there really are three particularly common things we do when we're met by the challenges of life and we, and we meet those challenges not in communion with the Lord, but really in a self-reliant, uh, foolish kind of way. Uh, the first big one is anger. Um, so... Anger is an emotion that is expressed when we think something is wrong. Uh, now, sometimes that's an appropriate thing, right? Uh, God himself expresses anger when he sees his character and his kingdom being besmirched. Um, and we can reflect that righteous anger as well. Uh, when... 
we encounter those things that stand opposed to God's character and his kingdom, it ought to stir something within us. Uh, what would it mean for us if it didn't? What would it mean about us if we were unaffected by something as horrific and ungodly as child abuse, for example? Stands opposed to God's character and the way he wants his kingdom run. And if that left us unaffected, we would be, we would be monsters indeed. The problem is, is that our anger isn't usually about God's kingdom and agenda. It's usually about our kingdom and agenda. Um, and anger tends to be that response in strength against this thing that we perceive as a threat. There's, there's something that's threatening my precious me. There's something that my flesh wants to protect um, and when I perceive that threat, a strong response is anger. Um, I intend to fight uh, to make things right. And sadly, this can be a very easy thing to get comfortable doing. Anger feels good sometimes. Um, and the more we practice it, the more entrenched that sinful response can become. It just keeps growing. Well, what if you perceive something is wrong, but you don't have the strength or the will to fight against it? Uh, the second of the big three self-reliant response is escapism. Uh, it's, it's an attractive thing to imagine running away from our problems at times. And, and you even get Psalm 55 talking about the desire to fly away like a bird and be free from the betrayal that the psalmist experienced. So it can, it can be attractive to think, you know, if I just, if I just ran away, <clears throat> then I wouldn't have to face this problem. Well, escapism can involve any number of diversions um, from danger that we perceive or hurt that we're experience, experiencing. And we can, we can give our <clears throat> ourselves to all sorts of things that, that, uh, that divert our attention. So, um, sex, materialism, drugs and alcohol, uh, entertainment, recreation, exercise. There's all kinds of things, even some of them very, very good things, that if we're using them not for God's intended purpose, but instead using them instead of communing with the Lord and relying upon his grace to deal with the issue, if we use them to just ignore, uh, then we are making a serious mistake. And this is the, the basis for all kinds of addictions that people will find themselves in. Well, what if you don't have the strength or the will to fight or the resources to run away? And the last of the big three is anxiety. I can't fight. I can't run. But there is something I can do. 
And the something that I can do, strangely enough, is to be anxious. Uh, and there can actually be a satisfaction that comes from anxiety or worry. Because underlying that is a sense of saying, at least I'm doing something because I care enough. If I care enough about this thing, I can't fight it. I can't run away from it. But you know what? I don't want to... I don't want to just not care. And so what we're left with is we're left with stewing about it. We're left with worrying about it and being, being anxious uh, just because we don't want to not do anything. We want to do something. And so we caught up in this miserable uh, miserable existence where, where we're anxious and that's not a pleasant thing, but there's something about us that keeps us from stopping being anxious. Why, why am I continuing in this when it's making me miserable? And that's, that's an interesting thing to dig down into to try to find the underlying thing of why is it that uh, we're facing this thing uh, in which... Um, we're not engaging with the Lord about it and trusting him for it. This was, this was um, Bill's message from Psalm 34 that he, that he preached a, a few weeks ago. And if you, if you didn't hear that, I, I certainly commend it to you. Um, I thought, I thought the, the part of it, uh, that he preached that I enjoyed the most was when he was uh, saying that, that uh, worship is, in fact, the opposite of anxiety. Um, because, because what does worship mean? Well, worship means I am identifying something uh, or someone uh, that I am putting my trust in, that I'm, that I'm uh, finding my identity and hope and comfort in, that I am giving my attention to and, and I'm recognizing for, for the promise that exists in my relationship with, uh, with this one. As opposed to uh, anxiety or worry, which is basically turning in on oneself and, and one's own resources, there's, there's something here that I need to do. I, I need to, to do something to fix this issue. I need to, I need to do this, that, or the other to to try to uh, bring about a change in my circumstances. And, uh, and so to, to turn uh, in on oneself is, is, in essence, worship of self. So what, uh, so what Bill was, was uh, proposing, and I agree with, is that uh, we, wanna, we want to aim the focus of our worship on something other than me. I want to aim the focus of my worship on the Lord. <clears throat> and the truth of the matter is, is that worship changes us. When we, when we worship, it affects us. Uh, biblically, what you get is, is you get a lot of times um, discussions of how worship of different idols uh, turned the people who were worship, worshiping them uh, into things much more like them. So uh, if, you, if you are worshiping a statue made of stone or a rock that cannot speak and cannot hear and whatever else, 
the end result is that you become more of a person who has not very much to say and not very much of uh, uh, interesting um, ways to engage with the things that you hear. Um, worship affects us. We become like what we worship. So <clears throat> I don't want to become more like me. I want to become more like him. Uh, and so I want to aim my attention uh, on that. <clears throat> and then uh, Jake also, uh, little Jake, um, preached from Psalm 57 as well. And, and I thought uh, just wonderful, heartfelt um, recalling of some of the struggles that, that he has faced and ways where the Lord met him in the midst of that. Uh, he could have chosen to, to retreat into himself and feel sorry for himself and worry about the outcome of things. Um, but uh, by God's grace, he chose to pursue after communion with the Lord uh, and the Lord met him and showed him things along the way, uh, just like Psalm 57 says. Uh, so <clears throat> commend that, that message as well. All right, uh, before we wrap up here, um, in conclusion, is all of this worth it? Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to go back to Romans again and go to Romans 8. And there's a portion of, of Romans 8 that that's, uh, tends to be very, very famous, tossed around a lot, uh, but doesn't go quite far enough uh, in, in the way that we counsel with others. Uh, Romans 8, 28, probably familiar with this. We know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes we make the mistake of stopping there. Um, and what the suffering person is left with is this trying to figure out what is this good purpose here. This terrible thing has occurred. What good could possibly come from this? Well, let's go on to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So on the heels of God saying he works all things for good, he then says, and here's what I'm up to. I'm conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. Here's my grand plan, says the Lord. There's going to be a whole host of people made like Jesus, <laughs> made so much like him that we will call him brother, and he will call us brother and sister. That's incredible. How far away from my present experience is that kind of amazing vision? And yet, that's exactly what the Lord is up to. So I need to be saying that whatever I encounter in this life, there is God's overarching grand scheme of making me more into the image of Christ. Perfectly expressed, this is the heart of Jesus. Perfectly expressed, no matter what heat came, there was good fruit that was produced from it. The promise is we're going from here through these streams of living water and because of the cross of Christ, we're going from here to here.
we're being transformed. And one day we will experience this perfectly, not able to sin. So much like Jesus that he will call us brother. He'll be the firstborn of many made like him. All right, so is it worth it? Yeah, it is absolutely worth it. And so biblical counseling seeks to say, whatever it is that you're encountering, let's think about the way that the Lord is affecting your heart. Let's think about the way that the Lord is drawing near to you and communing with you. Will we cry out for his mercy and will we cry out for the alleviation of suffering and, and difficulty? Absolutely. We absolutely will pray for God's mercy and so forth. But we are not going to overlook the idea that God is at work doing something amazing in our lives. So uh, the process of the gospel of Jesus Christ, streams of living water and being transformed that is more of what we're going to be talking about next week. Any questions about today? Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, let's pray, and then let's go in and let's sing together, and let's receive the grace of God once again as he reveals his word to his people. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, uh, but instead you have revealed that you are at work in our lives. Help us, Lord, as we encounter the heat in this life. Uh, help us to, um, to draw near to you, uh, to remember again that you are near to us, that you have promises of grace for us, that you are at work in our lives. Uh, I do pray for anyone who is suffering um, today, Lord, that you would have mercy on them. You would comfort them as only you can do. Uh, and then, Lord, uh, make them very aware of your nearness in, in, uh, in their life and, uh, and that you are at work. Uh, and encourage them and, uh, and give them a vision for where you are taking them. This will glorify you, Lord God. And we look for your glory in all the work you're doing in your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.